the Jericho Network on Westwood One. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Mitch LaFon. Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon here on Westwood One. And yes, it is another triple header. This time we have got from the band Queensryche guitarist Michael Wilton and their new album The Verdict is of course out in March and Damon Johnson formerly of Thin Lizzy, Brother Kane, Alice Cooper, Black Star Riders he's got a new album called Memoirs of an Uprising and well I'm going to tell you how much I love it when we get to talking about Damon and then we finish off today's episode with Josh Todd of Buck Cherry. I always love me some Buck Cherry and uh, joining us on the phone is... The one, the only, Alan Niven. Bonsoir, or no, in fact, bonjour, monsieur. How, how are you? Frail. Frail and tough. Yeah, you're, you're, you're digging out of snow in Arizona. <laughs> well, it's not just that, but every now and then my uh, eldest boy comes over and we might pull out a guitar and noodle around and play with each other for a while and maybe have a glass of wine. And, you know, time tends to slip away when you're doing that. And then you suddenly look at the clock and go, oh, my God. It's Sunday. I got something I have to do. <laughs> have you uh, written any songs recently with with him, or, or or by the way, do you still write songs? I mean, we know that you did all that stuff with Great White, and are you still actively writing songs with the intention of having somebody record them and move, or even as a hobby, or or is that in the past? I still write. Um, I don't go through periods of manic intensity like I was once obliged to or once wanted to. Um, it's a little more sporadic, but yes, I do write. And uh, there are a couple of things that, you know, my my kid and the guy he plays with um, are looking at and playing around with, which is, you know, it, it's kind of surprising because you rather think they'd have a an attitude of, oh, my God, you know, we don't want any of the old dogs, old bones, you know. So it, it's rather gratifying that they they can listen to something or look at something and go, yeah, that's got half an idea to it. Now let us go and complete it. Yeah, see. Now, we, we do have Josh Todd of Buck Cherry, and you are friends with one of the former members of Buck Cherry, Jimmy Ashurst. Ashurst, if I can get yeah. that out for um, you. Have you been speaking to him lately? Do you do you keep in contact? Is he planning a return? Is any information on the whereabouts of Jimmy? I know I've interviewed him Oh, God, what was it, like nine months ago now, I guess, at this point? Well, Jimmy is one of rock and roll's truly great storytellers. And he is a wonderful interview. Uh, It's thoroughly enjoyable to listen to him and hear him spin tales. Um, He's really brilliant at that. And unfortunately, the last I heard from Jimmy was he sent me pictures of a building in Naples, um, with, he had the intent of moving back to Italy for some time. And, you know, that kind of worries me because, you know, they're sitting on top of two volcanoes there, you know. Yeah, and it worries me because he probably won't be as active making music. And, and we love that stuff he did with Buck Cherry. But um, speaking of making music, and um, last week we were talking about Pledge Music and how it has fallen apart and how a lot of bands like Queensryche, like Bernie Torme, like uh, Chris Buck, Buck and Evans, were sort of left out in the cold holding a bag. And we both said, listen, it's 
regrettable, but ultimately the bands have to make do and or, or make good, I guess is the proper term. And and of course, uh, we talked about Queensryche at length, and Michael is on this week sort of talking about what they're going to do to make it right. And so, you know, at least they're they're conscious of it and and. Uh, you know, to, to sound cliche, I guess they feel bad about what happened, and they're they're going to try to make it right. Well, it, it's it's an absolutely rotten thing to happen. Um, you know, basically, you're looking at pledge music to be uh, the function of um, a third party escrow type of situation, where you know they hold the money until both parties perform as they should, and then they release the money. Um, and it's a, a real pain that this has happened and it's hurt some people badly. Not everybody's rich by a long shot. That's why some people are using pledge music, but you know, ultimately at the end of the day, the, you know, and it, the bitch is this is it may not be your fault that pledge music went down, but if you engage them, it's your responsibility to make good on the promises made to people who contributed money. You can't yeah. just turn around and say, Oh, you know, try and get the bank to get it back for you. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, it's not, and 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 that's sort of the, you know, the the esprit that we discussed, la- or the spirit that we discussed last week of, of the things. But I'm going to ask you: you were, of course, a manager, Guns N' Roses, Great White, and so on and so forth. This is your band. Let's say Queensrÿche is your band. You're their manager, and this happens. You know, forget getting a phone call. You get them all in the room, and and what's the speech? What's the locker room speech? What's the Super Bowl halftime motivational speech that you give them? Well, you get you get the same sort of motivational speech that you might give to an up, you know a young upcoming band who have done something stupid, and you got to play three or four shows in the summer for the benefit of the local uh, police department, so as that somebody doesn't go to jail. Um, yeah, get past the road bumps. What you do is you sit down and you go, okay, we're in the hole for this. How many gigs is it going to take for us to be able to amortize this across that number of gigs and make sure that we can make good? Do some extra work. So that's the only advice? Just just get out there and play more gigs? There's no, there's no other sort of PR campaign that you would mount? There's no... Well, I mean, do you, any... do you do a Kickstarter and, and, and get people to recontribute or, or is that... Or is that tasteless? No, no I, I, I think that that's uh, a little bit tone deaf to try and get other people to reach into their wallets for the benefit of the people who have already reached into their wallets. Do what you can control. And what you can control is how many gigs you play and how much you get paid for them. And then you can figure out how many gigs you need to do to cover the whole. And then you go and take control of the situation and do that. Play the extra gigs, do the extra work, make the situation good, and be seen to do it. Like any form of crisis management, get out in front of it. And getting out in front of it is acknowledging the situation, acknowledging responsibility, and then giving people a plan they can look forward to and one that you can handle. So what you do is you look at the calendar and go, okay, we've got to do six extra gigs at the guarantee we're getting uh, to make enough to be able to deal with what's gone wrong here. So you go do it. All right. So let me ask you this, and then we'll we'll move on to uh, to Michael, and then we'll we'll come back after and talk about Damon Johnson and stuff. But those extra gigs that you do, do you sort of PR them in in a sense of, 
oh, wah, 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 we have to do charity gigs, poor us, come and support us. Or do you just book a gig and say nothing, and a gig is a gig, and it's like Queensryche is playing Montreal, and the fans don't need to know that we are doing this to fund. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, do you go out in the public and say, oh, look at us, poor us, we have to do four charity gigs, oh, or do you just go, all right, man up, let's go do four extra gigs, and we'll we'll, we'll get this done? Was, yeah, okay. well, I don't, I don't think the point of having a gig is to have a pity party. I think the point of having a gig is to see how long it takes you to melt the freaking walls. So, load up the bus, load up the truck, go blow people's hair back, have a great night, feel good about it. You're a musician, you've got an audience, you've got fans that follow you. Go have a ball. Okay, so that that's... And that's, by the way, what I would do, too. I, I would not say, oh, the day, the gig on July 25th is the uh, payback pledge music. Because that would just be, well, tacky. I mean, there's really no one. No, it tacky. It's, it's, no, it's spineless and tiresome to to do that. You know, pull your uh, tidy whities up tight and put your boots on and get out there. You know? You're yes, a rock and, and roll band. Go and be a rock and roll band. Go and have fun. Go and blow the, the doors off the building. I agree. And uh, speaking of uh, blowing doors off the building, their new album is called The Verdict. It is, of course, out in March, and I've had a chance to hear it. It is uh, really, really spectacular. The band has outdone themselves. And so uh, let's hear from original guitarist Michael Wilton. And, uh, well, here we are. Here is the one, the only, Michael Wilton. We are speaking with Queensryche guitarist Michael Wilton. The new album is The Verdict, and I will tell you I have heard it and is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Michael, you and you guys have done it again. Right. It's It's been, you know, a little over three years since the last album, Condition Human. Um, we've been touring uh, pretty heavily, and, uh, yeah, we've uh, managed to fulfill our duties. We know we, our record company is, is very happy. Um, Century Media and Sony Red, and, and uh, um, yeah, it's time to get the Queensrÿche machine rolling again. Yeah, I can't wait. Now, uh, just before we we get we delve into the whole Queensrÿche thing, because there's a lot of different layers to the story, from the pledge to to, to Todd playing drums to all this stuff. Uh, just before we got started, I mentioned that my next interview is Uli John Roth, and you were telling me that you were a big, big fan of that early, uh, sorry, early uh, Scorpion stuff. Just, just quickly talk to me about that, because I, I know Kurt Hammett is a huge fan. Uh, I didn't know you were. Yeah, I mean, in, you know, in the formulative years when we were uh, in Seattle, Washington, listening to to the, the metal invasion, you know, we were like 15, 16 years old. Um yeah, that uh, Louis John Roth was was like the big influence um, to listen to. I mean, we had we went to the the record store and got the album Taken by Force, and um, we were just blown away at his style. Um, and this one song in particular, uh, The Sales of Sharon, had this most amazing guitar solo. And as a young teen- teenager, if you could play that, you were super cool. Yeah, you were super cool. And it has that song, Your Light, on it, which I think is one of the best ones. But uh, speaking of influences, though, is that sort of the major influence, the Scorpions? Or were you influenced more by, I don't know, Kiss or, you know, Ace Fraley or or, or Jimi Hendrix? Where do you sort of find your your style derived from? I think it's, you know, just the bands that I listened to 
you know, at a young age, you know, um, obviously I'm a guitar player, so I was more guitar driven. I was more um, like Jimmy Page, Jimi Hendrix. But, you know, I also liked um, uh, in my teens, you know, we, we discovered the, the British invasion and I was like Judas Priest and Iron Maiden and Rainbow and, and uh, you know, the Scorpions, Accept, all those bands. You know, we, we didn't want to play top 40 music. We wanted to play head metal. Yeah, and that and that's what so that brings us back to the verdict because that's where we sort of come full circle. There, there was a period there, uh, you know, the end of sort of the Jeff Tate era where the music had gotten, uh, let's call it more experimental, less sort of in-your-face metal, and now you're back. The verdict is just song after song that just drills you between the eyes, the way Queensrÿche is supposed to be. Um, talk to me about the the writing process and putting it together and and making sort of. I'm going to call this a statement album because you, you really just went, you know, pedal to the metal. Let's go. You're getting Queensryche on full throttle. Yeah. I think, um, you know, this song is, uh, slightly influenced by the amount of touring that we're doing now in, uh, in our career. And, um, you know, your, your, your writing process is, is more conditioned to, uh, playing live. I think, you know, it's, it's, uh, the the terrestrial radio you know support is is kind of there um rock radio is just you know so programmed it's hard to get your music to be played um so i think uh you know the artist is kind of forced to uh write music that's gonna energize the crowd you know and uh something that you can feed off the crowd um and music that kind of hits you really hard, you know, real thought out, um, uh, balls to the wall, you know, kind of stuff. Um, so I think, um, you know, after year, years of touring and, and, uh, everybody kind of corralled all their ideas, um, whether it's guitar riffs, whether it's lyrics, where it's, you know, some songs were, were completed, uh, maybe if we were lucky, you know, 50, 60%. Nothing uh, was really finished. So, um, comparative to Condition Human, most of the demos were 100% done, um, but not not the verdict. The verdict was all pieced together. Um, we uh, we hired our uh, producer friend Zeus to come in, and and he's just amazing. He basically took all these scattered ideas and made sense of them all. You know, and then uh, we narrowed it down, and we we uh, we wrote the songs in pre-production as you know a band. It was a collaborative effort. It was uh, you know everybody being uh, uh, creative uh, and spontaneous um, to get the songs where uh, everybody uh, in, enjoyed them and. You know, and as well, um, you know, the drums. So uh, Todd was hooked up to the uh, the Pro Tools workstation with a MIDI drum kit, and the drums were written as well. So it was it was a very uh, chaotic, energetic uh, time. Pre-production, you know, is usually used. You're used to just having the songs done and massaging them here and there and getting getting them ready to to record and 
for us, this was a, a different animal. It's kind of like, um, you know, in the early eighties when everybody gets together and has ideas and, and, uh, you know, hammers them out. Of course, back then you didn't have technology. So, um, it was, uh, you know, this, this was more of a collaborative effort and we, uh, I think we really enjoyed it. Um, it was a lot of work. I mean, there was a lot of thought put into every song, you know, and, uh, um, we really wanted, you know, these songs to, you know, for people to really, you know, enjoy them first off, but you know, really, uh, respect them and be able to, to hear a song over and over and hear something different in it. You know, that, that's kind of, uh, uh, something that, that happened. That's, that's just, just rings Queens, right? So yeah, we, we, uh, this was a, a very uh, uh, special moment, I think, in uh, you know the evolution of the band, and um, you know this is something that's going to reflect on us, and we're really proud of. Oh yeah, and and of course Zeus is is such a great producer to have that harder sound. He's worked with local band Cataclysm, and he's done uh, Shadows Fall, Hatebreed, so he. He gets it. So there, there's a few things you've, you've mentioned. Uh, you mentioned Century Media, you mentioned Todd doing the drums, and you mentioned the evolution. So, so I'm going to start off with the evolution first. Right now, when the band is going to head out on the road, there are two original members in the band, you and Eddie. What is the evolution in terms of members of the band? Are you moving forward with this is the new band and this is the core or are, are we still holding out hope for Scott or is that ship sailed? I mean, it, 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 you know, he took paternity leave, but he's not coming back. Is, is that permanent at this point? Um, well, we don't know, you know, as far as Scott, you know, he's, he's been drumming for, you know, 35 years and, and he's just said, you know, he, he wants to do something else and, you know, we respect his privacy and he's just gone down a different path. You know, he's, got a family he's working, you know, and, and, uh, spending time with. And, and, uh, so it's, it's, it's kind of a, you know, it's an open door. If he ever wants to come back and tour, you know, it's, but, um, otherwise, you know, Queensryche is a machine and, it, and if you miss the bus, yeah, it's not going to wait for you. It's got to, you got to move on and, uh, continue, you know? So, I mean, he gave, he gave our, his blessing and everything. So it was, uh, um, you know, he, he's, he's in his, his own thing right now and we respect his privacy. Absolutely. So let me ask you then quickly about the band's resilience, because you lose Chris DeGarmo and folks thought, well, that's going to be a, a trouble. And you went on and had great success and kept touring and kept making records. And then Jeff left and people went, Ooh, that's going to be tough. And then you brought in Todd and people went, oh, well, okay, that's good. And now Scott's is, is sort of in this in-between situation. What is it about Queensryche that keeps you moving forward and keeps the fans coming back? Because when you lose a member for another band, you're like, I'll take Kiss, for example, you get a lot of haters going, well, it's not Kiss anymore. It's not. Whereas Queensryche, people are like, oh, man, I love what they're doing. I love Todd. This is this is Queensryche 2.0, and I love it. Um what is it about your fans and the fan base and, and the band that, that has this built-in resilience where you can just keep moving on and fans just keep digging it, like me? 
Um, yeah, I think, you know, it's just, we're dedicated to the cause. I mean, we, we, uh, we like to think we're writing music that's relevant now. Um, we like to, uh, you know, always be moving forward and as far as our evolution and, you know, it's, it's, and you know what it comes down to, Mitch, it comes down. It's simple. It's the song. It's the songwriting. You know, if the song moves people, I think they, uh, uh, doesn't matter who wrote it or who played it or whatever, you know, it's, it's about the music and that's kind of, uh, uh, the way it is. Yeah, it really is. Um, it's the strength of the song. Look, you know, the, the, yeah. And, and look, you got, got some key DNA, you know, in the band. So it's like when, when the, the longtime fans hear the music, they, they hear a bit of, you know, the old style and, uh, and they go, wow, that sounds like Queensryche. Well, you know what? There's DNA that is Queensryche that came up that wrote the music for Queensryche that started the band, uh, that's in Queensryche. So I guess it's going to sound like Queensryche. It really is. Were, were there times in the, in the career where you had those feelings of saying, Oh, I can't deal with this. Uh, you're listening to, you know, Jeff write some stuff and you go, uh, were there times where you thought I've had enough and I need to go, or are you a lifer? And it, this band is yours no matter what's going on. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, built that way i'm dedicated to the cause and uh you know queen drake's done amazing things and you know and I, I want i want that to continue yeah um and so fans do too it's, it's you know and, and and yeah the fans are a big part of it as long as they like what you do and and uh there's a demand for what you do it's something that's going to keep keep happening from from me and uh queen's yeah, so let me get over to Century Media. This is a great record company. They're celebrating, I believe, 30 years now in the business, if not more. Um, so you're, you're, you're signed to, to Century Media. The last couple of albums come out on Century Media, and then you ran a pledge campaign. So the, the first question is, if you're signed to the record company, why are you running a pledge campaign? And then I, I just want to sort of get into what's happened and sort of how do you um, – and I'm going to measure my words, but sort of how do you make it right for the fans? Because the fans sort of got left holding the bag and, and so did the band. It's, it's not your fault at all, but why, why the pledge campaign? If, if there's a record company behind you, um, you know, it, it's crowdfunding is a, it's a marketing tool. It's, it's kind of like the old, uh, uh, fan club, you know, you got your, your specialty items that you offer to, to keep the interest going. Um, it was, you know, it's a, it's a platform where, you know, there's millions of people that, that are viewing it and, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, looking at other bands and, and making contributions. And, and so it's, it's a whole kind of like a, uh, you know, a glorified, uh, fan club and, um, you know, it's cool. You get the, um, you get the pre-orders on the CD and it's a lot of, uh, uh, good advertising and so it's a big, you know, bump in that sense. So the record companies love it. Um, but as all 
good things are great, they <laughs> they come to an end <laughs> rather abruptly. And uh, um, yeah, the uh, basically the world stopped uh, when I got the phone call from the management that says uh, all the money's gone. <laughs> those are those are words you never want to hear. <laughs> No, and we're talking sizable um, money. I mean, I, I think the quote I read online was over seventy thousand U.S., which is which is in Canadian dollars over a hundred thousand dollars. That's nothing to sneeze at. I mean, that's not. And people are going to say, "Well, Queensrÿch—they've been around for thirty years. Well, they have tons of." No, hundred thousand dollars hurts no matter who you are, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's you know, I think the fans got to realize that this is a business as well. You know, it's like we. Um, you know, we never touched that money, but we ordered all these items, you know, and they have net 30 days, you know, they want, they want the payment. So, um, you know, they expect us to, to pay for all these things twice. So how, did, and, how uh, well, go ahead. And, I was and gonna... it's like, and it's, uh, it, this, this happened to a lot of bands, you know, that were, were on there and, yeah, we're we're stuck with all these outstanding orders, and the uh, income that was going to pay for it is gone. <laughs> so, what, how how do you make it right for the fans? Because I mean, at the end of the day, it, it, you know, the fans shouldn't have to absorb this. And, and I know, like Bernie Torme, uh, you know, Aussie's one-time guitarist had one. He was out sixteen thousand. He paid it all out of pocket. And now he's crowdfunding to get some of that money back to help him. Uh, <laughs> Right. Which and by the way, he didn't set up the crowdfund. A, a fan sort of set it up for him to say, hey, we appreciate that you took this out. So so how do you make it right? Because, I mean, I have a lot of sympathy for 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 you, Michael, and the band Queensryche, because it's it's mm-hmm. it's devastating. But there are fans that are saying, well, what now? What about us? So so how do we sort of figure it out? Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's what we're doing right now. Um, you know, we don't really have a lot of information of what uh, the company is doing. Uh, we know they're a UK-based company, and laws are different over there. And uh, we know all the money funneled into one account, and it's just uh, um, there's a lot of unanswered questions. And and you know how this goes with businesses. This this could be held up in in court for a long time. Um, so yeah. You know, everybody's taken the hit on this and it's, and it sucks. Um, so yeah, it's how do we make it right? You know, without losing our shorts. Um, yeah, we're, we're working on that. It, it, it it's terrible. But, and anyway, but go ahead. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's ever changing every day. Um, what they're, uh, what they're doing, you know, so. Hey, can you hold on one second? I've got another yes. call on here. Yes. Okay, hold on. Hey, this is Frank Hannon, Tesla's lead guitarist. Be sure to visit my website, frankhannon.com, to check out my latest solo album. And keep on listening to Westwood One's Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Crank it up. And uh, we are back with uh, Michael Wilton. Uh, so, yeah, we were talking. But let's, let's get off the negative stuff here a second, and let's talk some about the positive mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, let's talk about Todd. Here's a guy who mm-hmm. came in and had to replace one of the most iconic voices in rock and nailed it. There's no question about it. He nailed it. And then, uh, as we mentioned before, Scott takes a leap of absence. 
And guess what? Todd is a former drummer, and he comes in on the verdict, and he nails it. Uh, talk to me about the decision to use Todd and not the touring drummer, and just what does he bring to the band, and what does he mean to the band? And you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll go on the negative, but what would it mean to the band if you lost him? Because he really has become, to me... And I think a lot of fans, as important as you, as important as Eddie, I mean, he's he's really cemented his place. He's not just the replacement guy. He sort of is Queens, right? Get this as much as anybody else, right? I mean, am I am I overstating yeah, things? Yeah, I think. I, no, you're you're exact, you've hit the nail on the head. I don't think you know. Uh, everybody sees the behind the scenes, you know, pressure and and. Uh, um, that, that we have to deal with, you know, and all of a sudden your drummer says he's not going to can't, you know, play on this album. And like you said, we had two choices, <laughs> you know, it was either Todd or get somebody else, uh, a studio drummer. And, you know, unfortunately we're, we're on a deadline. We've, we've booked time with the producer Zeus and, you know, we had to make a decision fast. Um, so, um, you know, Todd upped his game and, and, uh, we got the MIDI drum kit, you know, in the, in the studio and, and we wrote the songs and it was, you know, Zeus gave the thumbs up. I gave the thumbs up, Eddie gave the thumbs up, you know, and it was, uh, you know, it was very Scott Rothenfield-ish and we were, we were good with that. And, uh, you know, and then as far as, uh, you know, lyrics and melodies and everything. Now, you know, the, the, the whole band is stepping up into that, you know, on this album, you know, there's, there's lyrics written and melodies written by Eddie Jackson. There's uh, lyrics written by Parker Lundgren. There's melody ideas that I wrote, you know, so everybody is, is, is uh, inputting and helping in and, you know, and as it should be, you know, we're, we're accomplished musicians. We, 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 you know, pick up the pieces when someone's down and then we figure things out, you know, and it's just, that's, that's what being in a band is all about. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's been working out great. Now I know we're going to run out of time because you have another interview in a couple of minutes, but uh, the verdict of course is out uh, in March and it wasn't the only album you've ever released in March back in 1997, you released uh, here in the now frontier on March 25th. Um, I just guess, you know, it's an album that's not talked about a lot. And so I, just because we're, we're, we're going to sort of celebrate the 22nd month or the 22nd year, I should say, at the same time that the verdict is coming out. What are some wow. of the memories of what, right? I mean, right. 22 years. That, what are some of the memories of that one? Because I, I personally think that it got a bad rap. I think sign of the times, I think the, the bonus tracks that were available, chasing blue skies, uh, hit the black spool and, you know, there's some good stuff there, um, but I guess it was sort of the wrong time, the wrong place. Uh, you know, 1997 wasn't very friendly to Def Leppard or Motley Crue or Kiss. Or, but what are some of your memories of that recording session? And and do you like it? Um, you know, obviously it was Queen Drake's known for taking chances and and moving beyond uh, what is considered comfortable. <laughs> Uh, and you know, I, I thought when I heard the demos and everything, I thought these are, these are really cool songs. They're very Beatlesque. 
um, which is a, you know a big derivative uh, creative influence and this my buddy Chris DeGarmo and this was uh, I remember this was right about the time when uh, Digit Design Pro Tools was coming in and personal uh, recording systems were were happening and you know all of a sudden everybody was coming in with finished products rather than working as a band and uh, working the parts out um, you know but regardless I, I think that was a you know some great songs um, and I just think you know the uh, timing um, the uh, yeah, they, it was. It wasn't a great time. era. It wasn't a great era for anybody, quite frankly. But, uh, <laughs> but that, but that Eddie Jackson song that that he wrote there, "Hit the Black." Uh, man, I I think that would be so great in the set list right now with with Todd's voice because that that's just such a powerful song. And and anyway, it was mm-hmm. it, it was it was a good. But twenty, can you believe it's twenty two years since that came out? <laughs> yeah, it's. it's uh, I've, I've made, I know you know. I've made 90, us feel like both very old. That was. Uh, that's you know that's when Chris left and decided to be a, a pilot, um, fly airplanes. So yeah, it's been 22 years. <laughs> oh, wow, <laughs> it, it, it's 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 something. Anyway, the uh, the verdict is uh, is out in March. It is absolutely stunning. the The band continues to move forward with a with a precision and a determination that is unbelievable. And, uh, Michael, just always, always a pleasure. And I certainly hope we get to see you uh, on the road this year. I saw you at M3 last year. And I have mm-hmm. to say, that is a performance. I mean, when you want to see a high-energy show where people aren't calling it in, there's no bullshit going on with, with Queensryche. I mean, you get a show. Uh, that was great. So hopefully I'll get to see that in 219 as well. And uh, hopefully you'll come to Canada at some point. Yeah, I know. We're, uh, we're working on that. Um you know, we're, the verdict tour is already booked through January of next year. And, um, and we're, you know, we're going all over the world. So, uh, we'll, we'll see, uh, where the, uh, you know, the tour leads us. But, uh, right now, you know, we're, uh, we're getting ready to, to start the first leg of the, the verdict world tour. And we're, we're doing it with, uh, fate's warning. So it's going to be a cool package and it's going to be a, um, a new stage show, you know, it's a um, new set list. Uh, it's it's going to be cool, you know. Everybody should come check it out. Oh, they really should. And they should, of course, uh, not only uh, check out the verdict, but actually buy a copy. I mean, we, we love streaming. Yes, yes, yes. But go buy a freaking copy. You know, though, you got to hold it in your hands. That, that's what it's all about. And, uh, Michael, just uh, as we say here, merci beaucoup. Thank you so much. Always, always a pleasure. Thank you, Mitch, um, and thank you for carrying the torch and still talking about relevant metal music. I love it. Uh, I do my best, you know, and, and I really do it from a fan's perspective because I always figured if, if, if I'm not going to talk about it, then who is? You can't just sit around and complain and say, oh, nobody talks about it anymore. Okay, well, you do it then. And, and uh, yeah. Yep. I will always uh, support Queensryche. I will support uh, every version. And and to be perfectly frank, I will support everybody who was in Queensryche. If Chris comes out with a project, I'm there. Jeff comes out with a project, mm-hmm. I'm there. If Todd does a solo album or you do, do a solo album, I'm there. I'm there to support the band and the music okay. that has given so much to me. And uh, thank you. All right. Thanks, thanks Cheers. Mitch. i got to go to the other show. Cheers. Okay. Bye-bye. Rock on. Bye-bye. 
You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Rock Talk. And a very big thank you to uh, Michael Wilton of Queensryche. Of course, the new album is The Verdict. Do check it out. And of course, um, you know, I think I think Michael had a lot of good points there. And, and we'll see how that plays out. But uh, Alan, let us move on to Damon Johnson, who has spent time. Um, boy, oh boy, Brother Kane, Thin Lizzy. Uh, and, and he is doing some Thin Lizzy dates uh, this summer, by the way. Uh, Black Star Riders, um, Alice Cooper, he has a new album out called Memoirs of an Uprising. And I am uh, just a huge fan of, of everything Damon. I think he really understands the essence of rock and roll. Are, are you aware of of Damon and and his time with all those different bands? Well, I, obviously, I was aware that he'd uh, been with Alice for a long time. And, um, you know, as far as Alice Cooper goes, I always have to acknowledge that Love It to Death was a very significant record in my youth. And it had quite an impact on my psyche. And the photograph of Alice's band on the back was, very impactful too I looked at that and I went yeah that looks kind of cool clothing I'd rather wear that than you know a suit Um, so you know anybody who gets to be uh, playing that material and who is judged to be um, in that in that ability to really make that material alive they're a good player an absolute great player now on Love It to Death, the you know the picture of the band just sort of sitting there is a little reminiscent of the picture of the band uh, Guns N' Roses, right? From the Appetite for Destruction back cover where they're sort of sitting there. Is it, was that the inspiration? Well, you mean they both look deliciously disheveled? Yes, and, and, uh, I, and sort of somewhat similarly positioned. Yeah, maybe a little bit. That, you that's say that. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at them. I'm looking at them both now. I mean, it's and we said the spirit of before. It's it's, and it's got a love it to I death think, spirit. I think I think both images convey a certain attitude, and a good photograph should do that. Um, yep. You know, but it's funny. All those cameras. All those pictures taken, I can clearly identify one picture and go, that's the one. And it was taken by Ross Halfin, and it's been used time and time again. But, I'm, you know, my hat is always off to, to Ross Halfin because, for me, he took the defining photograph of the band. Well, and he's done that for many bands, Def Leppard, Metallica, etc. So talk to me just real quick about Ross, because I know his son. His son's out there uh, these days uh, taking pictures with uh, the Dead Daisies and um, Guns N' Roses and others. Um, was he difficult to work with? Because the, the, the stories are is that he was a bit of a son of a, you know, but yet his work... You can't, you can't complain. It's, it's the, it's one of the best out there. Oh well, you'll laugh at this, um, because I'm sure certain things have been said about my personality. Um, but I would, I would say that Ross and I were chalk and cheese, and if 
it got to the point where if Ross was going to come and work with the band, I'd avoid being there um, because I found him to be um, a real arrogant pain in the ass. Um, and he might smile and go back at you. Um, he once did an interview for the Guardian newspaper where he blamed me for generating and developing and styling what he called the Guns N' Roses attitude. Um, I wish I could take credit for that, but believe you me, Axel has plenty of attitude that he generates himself. But Ross, yeah, a prima donna. But that said, a brilliant photographer. And that said, he took the defining image of Guns N' Roses as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. He's just absolutely spectacular. There, there's a few photographers from that era, I guess it was, um... What's it, Mark, uh, Mark Weiss and uh, Neil um, Zlau, whatever. Zlow's, right? Those, those are sort of the three, right? Yeah, and, and Neil, Neil was a great photographer too, is a great photographer. Um, I think he's got a documentary out at the moment. Maybe you should interview him. But uh, Neil, by comparison, was a, a sweetheart to work with. Really easy, lovely guy, um, not a Ross. Right. Ross is is one of the best i've had a chance to meet him at, at some shows uh, especially when they come through town with metallica but uh we mentioned the guns and roses and the latest news is that the band according to duff and slash they're writing great songs and great records um new music coming even richard uh, fortis has said that um what what's your take on on this? I mean, it's funny. My my take, just real quick, is well, Slash has a new album with songs, and Duff has a new album. Why not take these songs and send them over to Axel? Why do solo albums? But what's what's your take on the new music alert? Well, it's not so much my take. It's what Curly said to me the last time I saw him, which was uh, when he came through Phoenix here. Um, just a few months ago um, and he told me that uh, basically Axel was in um, isolation going through uh, stuff that wasn't that was recorded but not used on Chinese democracy and you know if if I'd been making the comment um, the next record may well be called Chinese leftovers I'm not just and only trying to be cynical and, you know, taking a poke at him, although obviously I am in a way, um, it, out of Slash's mouth, that's what's going on. And he didn't seem too thrilled about it. And, you know, Duff, love him to death, but, you know, are we, is this Duff the accountant we're listening to or Duff the PR guy that we're listening to? Or, you know, can Duff get back to being the rock and roll bassist, you know, and contribute to something fresh and something wonderful and something new. Um, some time ago, he and Izzy were doing some writing together. Um, and I'll stand, I'll stand by the position I've made clear many times. If you're going to do genuine Guns N' Roses as opposed to um, Velvet Conspirators, you've got to have Izzy in the creative mix because that is the critical molecule that makes the critical atom that makes that molecule hold together and work. And if you're not working with Izzy, then I don't think you're making Guns N' Roses music. Yeah, and it's it's 
The other thing I'll say to that is even if Izzy's not there and Steven Adler is not there, you're you're on the road for two years with a band, you know, like it or not, want to admit it or not, the show's turned out great. There's a vibe, there's an energy, there's a chemistry. At least get those people in a room and create something new. Why why bring in something that's left over and say, okay, now you guys try to heat this up and make it I mean it it seems sort of Silly, but well, yeah, listen. Uh, well, yeah, we'll probably yeah, buy it anyway. <laughs> yeah, yes and no. I mean, you know, to play fair, um, you just asked me, do I still write? And I go, yeah. And I've got one, you know, some songs that have, that have been sitting for a while. They haven't found their time and their place and their voice yet. Um, it's not invalid to go back and look at stuff that you've done before and go, you know what? You know, I can make this better. Um, I, I think I think the thing that you know puzzles me is if you want to be Guns and Roses, then look at how it was done before and try and and see what happens if you put that together. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But I would want is he involved if I were one of them? Oh, I agree without a doubt. Now, just before we get over to uh, da- Damon Johnson and, of course, uh, listening to him talk about memoirs of an uprising, on the other Guns N' Roses front, I have heard uh, talk of a Blu-ray DVD of one of their L.A. shows coming out. Has that come to your ears? Is that something that you're aware of, or is that uh, I'm telling you something that you may... I mean, listen, and, and I, I will say candidly, could absolutely be rumor. There's no God timeline, but that's what I'm hearing. So, I I have no idea. And you know, GNR stuff is not something that I seek out to inform myself of. Right, it filters um, down. Uh, it's it's something that other people tend to think that I you know I am going to have an interest in. Um, and yeah, I mildly have an interest. You know, I, I like to see Slash do well. Um, I'm happy that his life is better than it has been at certain times in the past. Um, but no, I've no idea if one's coming out, and I'm not sure that I'd really be that interested in seeing it or owning it. Um, I've got some incredible memories from the past. And there does come a point where I start to get protective of those memories. You know, there are certain gigs that I remember that I want, I want those memories to remain pristine in my consciousness, and I don't want them to be compromised by something contemporary. Yeah, and uh, it's funny that it comes on the heels of the news from Samsung that they will no longer be making DVD and Blu-ray players for the U.S. or the North American market, that streaming has killed their ability to sell machines, and so they're going to focus on other things. So I don't know. I'm not sure if, if a Blu-ray came out from anybody uh, at this point that, I, that it would matter. Just, you know, it, it's oh, weird. Well, you could put it in a box set and add value to the box set and then sell it for $1,500. It's just strange for me. Movies and, and, and stuff like that, throw it on Netflix or, or on a streaming site so I can watch it. 
music, get it off the damn streaming sites, throw it on a CD. It, it's it's I'm I'm bizarre, but anyway, uh, yeah. Somebody who is not bizarre is Damon Johnson. His new album is Memoirs of an Uprising. Without further ado, here is the one, the only guitarist extraordinaire. Damon Johnson. We are speaking with guitarist Damon Johnson, or should I say solo artist Damon Johnson. The new album is Memoirs of an Uprising, and Damon, lots to talk about. We are going to start off with a great new album. Always a pleasure, by the way. Hello. I, I always forget to say hello <laughs> to people. but here. That's okay, Mitch. You, you have a lot to cover in any interview, and I think that's why so many of us in the business love talking to you, because you're always a great interview. Thank you, you always have great questions, so thank you for having me on yet again, and especially at this very uh, special moment in my career. Yes, yes I am a solo artist now. Yes. So. <laughs> Isn't it amazing, by the way, what a little research can help uh, do? I, 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 and this is nothing to, to say about that, but I was with somebody backstage the other day, and we were with Brian Adams, and they were sitting down to interview Brian Adams, and literally as Brian walked in the room, they said, hey, Mitch, you have any questions I could ask him? And I'm like... You're, you're kidding me, right? <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah um, I, I can think of 10 right now that I could ask Brian Adams, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I've done no research. So. Exactly. Yeah. But no, but uh, so let, let's get over here to Memoirs of an Uprising. You, of course, have played with many different bands, you know, whether it's Thin Lizzy or Alice Cooper Group, Black Star, no, let me the great Black Star Riders, uh, and so on and so uh, Brother Kane. Where are we in terms of musical style? Is this sort of an agglomeration of all the different bands and different styles and different stuff? Is this a whole new sound for fans that don't know what to expect from from Damon Solo? And, of course, you've done solo albums in the past, but this is a new chapter. Uh, Explain the album. Explain the concept. Explain why these songs were not meant for Black Star Riders, why they were meant for a solo album. Well, I appreciate your question about, you know, what is the sound of it compared to everything else you've ever done. And I'm being really honest when I tell you I never gave much thought to the sound. Everything on these 10 songs was about the songs themselves. I had a lot to say lyrically. Uh, much credit to my longtime friend and partner on this record, especially Jim Troglin. We go back to the early 90s, the beginning of the, the rock scene in Birmingham. I've known him that long, and we've written together in the past. So I brought him in and started talking about some concepts I had in my head for these songs. And So that's really all we thought about. Now, I think it goes without saying that as I start to play guitar on the main tracking, you know, rhythm guitars, and then start at lead guitars and things like that, it's inevitable that it's going to sound like Damon Johnson because I have sounded like me probably since the first Brother Kane record in one way or another. So it's cool when people go, yeah, this is reminiscent of Brother Kane. Well, of course it is because I'm singing now again, uh, you know, where I was just on guitar with Black Star Riders. And, um, so all of that's been really motivating for me, but this is a proper rock record. There's a lot of different tempos. There's a lot of different, uh, you know, melodies. The lyrical melodies uh, cover a lot of ground. And I mean, I can almost go song for song and talk about some artist or, or group of artists that, in, you know, influenced a certain song in one way or the other. But 
Um, I just, I'm liking this moment, Mitch, and the feedback I'm getting that this music sounds familiar to people. It sounds like something they have enjoyed before. And that's always a great sign because that's never a guarantee. Um, are there, could there have been more guitar solos? Probably, you know, I've had fans in the UK where I've lived for the last six years <laughs> in black star writers. Like, yeah, man, we liked your songs and your voice you know, maybe more guitar solos next time. Okay. Well, that's easy. You know, that part is easy. Songwriting is hard, man. It takes time and discipline. And, um, so I just feel like this is the perfect place for me to start. This is a great place to, to forge ahead and chart my own path and be my own boss and call my own shots. I'm ready for this moment. I'm ready for that game plan going forward. I'm in charge. All right. So, in fact, that that's going to lead me to this question. Then, does this completely? Because I think the answer is clear. But does it completely preclude you joining? I mean, let let's say you know Alice Cooper is doing a run through the states and he needs somebody and calls you, you know, or or another band, Aerosmith. You know, Joe Perry gets sick and are you sort of out of the hired gun business or or the the, the band business or? where are we in, in that? Is it really, it's Damon and that's it. I got to focus. Yes. The answer is I'm out of the band business. I'm definitely not starting any more bands. You can, you can write that in blood in a, in a razor blade that on my arm. Now, if I got a call, if Coop needs some help for a week or two, because somebody's, you know, got to leave the tour for whatever reason, then that's easy to go help out. And I, and I know that that's, I know those songs. I know the whole lay of the land. That would be easy. Um, you know, we're going to do a couple of thin Lizzy dates in the late summer. Those haven't been announced yet, but it's going to happen. It's just two or three shows. I think they're all in Europe. You know, I want to continue to be a part of that again, because that's easy. It doesn't completely dominate my yearly calendar. It's easy to work around that kind of thing. But the thing that was so challenging in Black Star Riders was, you know, the other guys in the band wanted to work as much as possible and tour as much as possible and try and grow the band in other countries outside of where we really had a dependable fan base, which was Europe. And those guys deserve to be able to tour like that, Mitch. They're all veterans, you know, legends in some cases. And... You know, I, I knew that I was beginning to be kind of like the squeaky wheel in that because, you know, we would get the email about the tour dates. It's like, okay, guys, we got these eight weeks we're going to be gone in the summer. And I would just almost flip out. It's like, guys, that's too long. I have kids. I've, that's the whole summer. I don't want to tour like that. Well, they want to tour like that. They're entitled to tour like that. And they can now. And... The, the thing I love to share with everyone is that it's nothing but love and respect between myself and those guys. They completely understood why I wanted to move forward. You know, I played the record for Ricky Warwick maybe before anybody. And he gets it, man. And he's like, bro, this is what you should be doing. This is, these, these songs are great. You're an artist in your own right. You've, you've worked hard your whole life. And if you're ready to, to tackle this endeavor, you know, you should go full speed ahead. I totally get it. And, you know, those guys want to be a game. They want, to, they, they want it to be one, all for one, one for all, and that is exactly what it should be. That's the right mentality. So, um, yeah. Now, if, you know, if Paul McCartney calls and wants me to do a world tour, we're going to take that gig, Mick. You know? <laughs> right. That's, 
that one you'll a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, that one you'll that's, take, that's, and you. Right. That's enough money in a couple of weeks, man, to pay for an entire year of tuition when my kid starts to college in five years, you know? But that call's not going to come because guys have that gig, and they're not going to let go of that gig, nor should they. Um, and I just think, too, man, listen, if I if I start forging ahead as, as this solo artist like I'm doing now, that's only going to maybe make Damon Johnson more attractive to some opportunity that comes down the line. But I'm not waiting on that. I'm not hoping for that. Okay, I'm so, doing this, man. So, you know, in a in a previous interview, you had talked about when Brother Kane broke up and you had said, we just ran out of will. Is that sort of what happened with Black Star Riders? That you, that, I mean, because there, there is that reality that, that a lot of fans don't appreciate that, you know, you're building this new brand, you're building this new fan base, and it was just a European-centric kind of thing because, you know... I know I helped book a show for for Black Star Riders in, in Montreal, and I don't want to sound insulting, but but it took a lot of convincing and a lot of almost cajoling, like "Come on, get you know, let's book this day, make it happen." And was there a frustration with that, and and just a reality of like it's just not easy to start a new band and and bring it over, and and, and it's just so much better just to be Damon and go do what Damon does. Yes, yes. The short answer is definitely yes. I mean, um, you know, I'm so grateful to some of the things that Ricky and Scott have said, you know, particularly my last uh, couple of weeks of touring with the band. They were really gracious, man, and giving me the mic every night to say thank you to the crowd. And Ricky said it in some interviews. He's like, look, man, Damon has helped us immeasurably, you know, full time committed, was here for six years and three albums. We've gotten this thing off the ground. You know, he, he, he's done righteous work and we're grateful to him for his contribution. Yes. And just like I'm grateful to those guys for kind of getting my whole songwriting, you know, venom and inspiration fully engaged, man. I've never been more inspired to write songs than I am right now. And that happened all because of Ricky and I working in so well together. But yeah, man, it's hard. We weren't moving the needle at all in North America. And, you know, I live here. Look, I'm grateful to have a fan base anywhere. Our fans in the UK are amazing. And we wouldn't have gotten to a second record had it not been for them. So that fan base is solid. That fan base actually continues to grow over there. But I don't live over there, Mitch. And, you know, I've been in this business a long time. I'm on my second marriage. I have three older kids from my first marriage. I have two young ones now. And I've been gone, brother, most of their young lives, you know. And um, I'm not going to do it that way anymore. Uh, I get that if you're going to get break a band and launch a band, you have to commit. You have to. And, you know, so that was never a question of like, well, hey, may- maybe we as Black Star Writers, we can just treat this differently let's just tour less and let's treat it sort of like a side project no there's no way there's no way that the band could sustain itself transversely black star writers was just not sustainable for damon johnson any longer i gave it my best it was awesome everything about it was awesome but i just i just didn't feel like that if i stayed for another year or two and another record and another tour that we were really going to be able to move the needle that much more it would just be kind of more of the same 
Yeah, and, and it's it's amazing, though, that you, you look at some bands like Thunder, like Gothard, like, like even Thin Lizzy, they, they have status quo. They have these great followings in the UK and the great followings in Europe. And I'm telling you, if status quo, who, who have been around 50 years, came to play here, they'd probably have to play a bar. It's just strange sometimes how borders actually affect bands. And Now, the decision to get... Um, Christian Martucci that to replace you in Black Star Riders, is that something that you were aware of? Did you have a hand in that? Did you suggest him? Did they try to look for somebody that had your tone, or now you're out of band business and that was them and you had no say in that? Yes, I was out of band business. That was all on them, and I feel like they've made an amazing choice. I think Christian is fantastic. There's a lot of things that he and Ricky have in common that go beyond even what Ricky and I had in common. Um, you know, again, I understand why Ricky and the guys feel like that it needs to be a gang. It needs to be all for one and one for all. Yeah, it does. And because huh? a lot of people have asked me, like, well, hey, man, are you going to have songs on this new record? The answer is no. I mean, Ricky and I had definitely written three or four things, but. If I know him, I do know him really, really well. I'm sure what he did is he just took those lyrics of his, and then he'll bring it out to Christian and the, and the rest of the guys, and they'll, and they'll flesh it out in a different way than how I would, would play on it. Because, again, you want your, you want your musician's investment, you, you know, their, their style, their playing, their ideas. That's part of the whole process, man. And, and sometimes, Mitch, let's be brutally honest. That's what gets you through those weeks where you're playing to small crowds and the tour is not generating much revenue at all. You can lay there in your bunk on the bus and at least go, well, but we made a great record and we're working hard and we're doing that big festival in two weeks. You know what I'm saying? It's like those things, they, they all feed into your brain. And I get that. They do. And it certainly fueled, it fueled me, man. Those three records are badass. All three of those records are great. I know you're a fan of those records. Oh, love so, them. You know, but there were some times, man, I'd be gone for four, five, six weeks. And, you know, the amount of revenue I'd be coming home to my family with for being gone that long, it just wasn't that much. And certainly not enough to justify missing summer vacation and missing spring break and missing birthdays and yep. wedding anniversaries. And so all that stuff. I'm, yeah, yeah. So, no. listen, man, I'm very, we're, we're talking about the down you know the yeah the, so let's, the let's get to let's get to the let's get to let's get to, to to more positive stuff um i just had a conversation the other day with jim valance who of course wrote summer 69 and a bunch of the great stuff and writing for broadway great and stuff. writer oh, great songwriter well well we'll start great. off with that 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 actually goes second on the list he, he is a great person he is so incredibly nice uh just unbelievably nice and then he's a great songwriter uh great human first but what is sort of your process for songwriting? Because if you look at all the different bands you've been in, from Whiskey Falls, from uh, Brother Kane, from, you know, there's different sounds, there's different things. The Black Star Writers is certainly not Brother Kane. Brother Kane is certainly not Whiskey Falls. Um, what is sort of your approach to songwriting? Does it just sort of pop in your head and off you go? Is there, do you need inspiration? Do you sit and listen? What makes a great song for Damon? It can come, it's one or two ways with me. Most of the time it starts with 
a chord progression and some kind of a vocal melody. And inside that chord progression, you're also hearing some tempo. Maybe you can kind of hear the how the drums would feel and sound, the groove of the song. And that's enough to power my um, you know, commitment to, to being disciplined to stay in it and keep working on it and see how far I can develop it. You know, as long as that's kind of getting me off, I'll stay in it to the point that you go, okay, well, let me mess around with some lyrics. Now, after working so long with Ricky and, and the, the, the great benefit of being around him so much in recent years is it's got me back into carrying a couple of, you know, theme books and notebooks. And I've got apps on my iPad and my laptop, you know, where I'm just gathering content like never before. Um, you know, see a movie, write something down about it that you want to remember or a quote that you heard or something someone said in a conversation, or maybe a friend went through a terrible divorce and, you know, capturing some of that man and writing it down and remembering it. And you can always tell when you, when you're inside that chord progression and that groove or that wrist, and I can reference that stuff and go, Oh yeah, this music feels like, that line of lyrics right there. Let's start with that. And then it just becomes like building a puzzle. Um, and I'm just so much better now, Mitch, at staying disciplined, turning off the phone, getting in a room by myself and devoting even just an hour or two undistracted to stay in it and see how far I can take it. And that's what I did on this record. Yeah, and, and, and it really is a great, great record. Now, we have, of course, I did reference Whiskey Falls. You have also played on Faith Hill's Cry album, and you, you are down in Tennessee. Is that something that, that you want to explore more down the road, maybe more of a country flavor and become a country artist? Or is Damon Johnson a rock star? Well, not well. Okay, rock star, but a, are you a rock artist? Period. End of story. Or can you see yourself yeah. exploring uh, country? No, I'm a rock artist. End of story. Because it's really what my love has always been. I can write and play country. I can write and play classic country or modern country. I can contribute that. But I'm never going to put out a record where it's like, all right, man, well, I live in Nashville now, and I've been really listening to Hank Williams and Garth Brooks, and no, never going to happen. Ever, ever, ever going to happen. Um, I'm too motivated by energy, an energy that country does not have. I'm too motivated by the simplicity of a Malcolm Young chord progression over a four on the floor Phil Rudd drum beat, you know, one of his one of those songs, man, could inspire me to write thirty on my own. That's how much I love that sound and the, the feel of that. Um, I mean, look, I, there's no question that I I have songs in my repertoire already. That you know, if I were to be able to be on a festival with a Chris Stapleton and a Jason Isbell and a Sturgill Simpson, who are all kind of Americana lords at the moment. I could get up there and play some of my own songs right now and we wouldn't be a bad fit. People wouldn't be out there with fingers in their ears going, Oh, this is loud. This is, uh. you know, a lot of that's just down to cosmetics and what you dress it up in instead yeah. of playing the electric. Maybe I'll play the acoustic on a few songs and the band strips it down. You know, these are great musicians in my band, Mitch. So 
you know, was kind of limitless to the things that we can do and to how we could contribute in any kind of an entertainment setting. But, man, we're rocking out. It's still Marshall Half Stacks and wah pedals and, you know, harmony vocals and really cool rhythm section, lots of cool drum parts. It's so it's, it's not a complete me, it's not a complete reinvention where you're going into the left field. I mean it, it's it's just moving in left field alone. No, it's not changing. Yeah. Anything. Okay. So let me well, ask you. Well, well said. And and no one and no one has said that by the way. Right. Uh, you know I've not I've not picked up on one comment of like oh, wow this this is really different for you. Uh, oh. Certainly my fans, especially the ones going back twenty years to the Brother Kane days, they're really happy right now. They're like, okay, here's our boy. There's that sound that we have missed. There's that voice. He's, yeah, yeah. So, so it's, it feels good, man. So let me ask you this, because you have been a great writing team with Ricky Warwick. You have, of course, done all those acoustic shows and all. I mean, he, he, the perception from, from, you know, on my side of the computer, looking at the reports on, on, on you know, classic rock or blabbermouth, is, is that this is a brotherhood. These two guys are friends till the till the end is that still i mean yes that's true but musically and 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 business wise do do you see yourself now making an album with ricky or still doing some of these shows with him or is, is it really that was great too but i've also got to move on from that I, I love him but i just have to be damon and i can't do these other things no but ricky and i are mates we are friends forever and now it literally gets down to more than anything, his calendar. See, Ricky is still wearing many, many, many hats. He's got his own solo band. He's in Black Star Riders. He does Warwick Johnson acoustic dates. He does solo acoustic dates. He's doing Rock Meets Classic, which is uh, a thing he's done with Scott Gorham once before. They're doing it again this year where they go out and play four or five Thin Lizzy songs with a orchestral backing and some other established artists. They do this in Germany. You know, these are all things, man, that take time. They fill up your calendar and, you know, there's no question that Ricky and I very much want to do Warwick Johnson dates again in the future. And I'm just telling you from my standpoint, I'll be hitting Ricky up for co-writes often. I mean, I, Already, man, I've started a couple of new things just this month where I'm like, oh, when Ricky's schedule calms down a little bit, I'm going to send him this and see, you know, what what he might want to contribute to it. Because I, I just love the guy's songwriting and we're friends. That's that's what you want to do, man. You want to write songs with people you know and that you trust and that inspire you. And that's never going to change for me. Ever. <laughs> And, and all I really want is is an acoustic album of you two guys doing the best of everything you've ever done from from Cooper to <laughs> Lizzie to because uh, the, the the versions you've done are great. Now, uh, since you're a solo artist and focusing on being a solo artist, some of the stuff that has come back or come out, I should say, in the past, Echo, Birmingham Tonight, the live album, Dust. Uh, some of them are a little harder to find. Dust particularly is hard to find. Is there a, a plan to revisit those either by re-releasing them or re-releasing them with bonus tracks or maybe re-recording some of the, it, you know, now that you're going to be a solo artist, can a fan go out and get the full complement of solo artist Damon stuff? Mitch, I'm so happy you have just asked that question and I cannot wait uh, when I see my family tonight to tell my wife that you asked this because 
she has been saying for the last two years, long before I decided to go solo, she said, Damon, 2020 is going to be the 20th anniversary of Dust. You have to do a reissue and put some new stuff on there. And now... I like her, by the way. I really like her. That's (laughs) very smart. Now we are most definitely going to do that for the exact reason that you just said. Dust has been out of print, I think, for about five years. Uh, The guy that ran that tiny little record label that I put that out on uh, passed away, sadly, a few years ago. I don't even know where the original artwork is or the original masters or any of that. So I'm going to have to get creative on remastering the existing version but i've man i've got limitless stuff that i could add to it as well mitch and uh and make it a nice cool thing and then guess what man you come see a damon johnson show go to the merch table there's dust on cd 20th anniversary uh because look man let's not miss something we're we're all in our late 40s and 50s and even into the 60s we still buy and listen to cds and vinyl not in giant you know, not as much as we used to. We, you know, I love streaming as well. But all I know, man, is I'm the CDs are flying off of my website on my, you know, my web store because somebody's buying them. It may not be a bunch of twenty year old kids, but there's definitely people that are our age that love that stuff. Man. So, uh, absolutely, um, me. I mean, uh, I, I spend even, my time you know, buying. Even if it, even if it becomes like a souvenir that you pick up at the gig, that's fine. That's still something cool. Hey, man, 10 bucks, get a CD, and hey, if I see Damon at the merch table, maybe he'll sign it for me. That kind of thing. I love that. I love I, that. I, I would, too. And you know what? If you're going to do this 20th anniversary re-release and, and, and you're looking for extra material, I would suggest you, you go back to some of the songs you wrote, either with Santana or Skid Row or Ted Nugent or, or Queensryche or whatever, and do sort of the songwriter's version of those songs and just add them on as, as a as an added bonus because they, they would be sort of yes, out of context, but I think it would be a sort of like, Oh, he did that. He, he did. I won't go away. He did. And it just, it's like, Oh, okay. Anyway, I know that, that that's going to drive you crazy. Listen, that I say man, that's that. really, no, no, listen, it doesn't drive me crazy at all. As a matter of fact, my, I put out an acoustic album in 2010 called release. Mm-hmm. And I did that very thing. I did my own version of the song that Stevie Nicks recorded of mine. And then I did the same with the Santana song that he recorded, uh, that I co-wrote. So, you know, and both of those songs, whenever I play solo acoustic, certainly I play those songs and fans love it. So, uh, you're a wise man to even suggest that. And I haven't even thought about digging out some of it because i know when i wrote with rachel and snake from skid row that those were some great songs they took them and recorded them with their sound and their interpretation of it but those lyrics are killer and those melodies are great so i could absolutely revisit those and have uh no shortage of stuff to uh to record that's the other thing that my wife has really helped me with too Mitch. she's like damon the other good news for you is you have tons of material it's not like you got to go lock yourself away for a month and and write 20 new songs, you're sitting on vast amounts of material that you just need to revisit and record it. Yeah, absolutely. And and just quickly on the uh, Bolin and, uh, and Sabo or, or Snake, or, uh, that song Ghost that they did uh, with you that you were, is absolutely brilliant. So th- I would love to hear a, a Damon version of it. Anyway, uh, listen, always, always... Kudos a- to you, Mitch. Yeah. Thank oh, you. 
Always a pleasure. A Memoirs of an Uprising. Uh, I don't have it yet, but as soon as it comes out on, uh, what is it, March 8th, my wife's birthday, actually, I will be in March line with my, yeah, with my International Women's Day is March 8th. So there you go. Um, I will be there with cash in hand uh, to, to buy it. And uh, just always, always a pleasure. Well, happy birthday to Mrs. LaFon on March the 8th. Yes. Uh, I happen to know someone that can get you. A oh. physical copy of the Damon Johnson album, so uh, don't fret yourself there. Mitch, thank you, brother. Um, you're one of the really, really great ones, and it's always a pleasure to speak to you, and I'm grateful for the support, and uh, I'm going to do my part to keep giving you some good rock music to listen to and hopefully talk about. Yes, and I, and I can make I can make another whatever it was two hundred and fifty song playlist of all your stuff like I did. <laughs> uh, it's a crazy crazy stuff I do, but yes, I'm looking forward to adding to that playlist. And always a pleasure. And uh, anytime. And if you uh, come up to Montreal or if you need to help getting a gig, as as always, just you can count on me. I'm 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 here to support rock and support uh damon and and black star and 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 quite frankly any rock band i i just support rock and that's what we should all do well you're very special mitch that call is coming by the way because i'm coming to canada so get ready it's awesome. a priority awesome Can't wait. merci monsieur as we say thank you so much and we shall do this uh again bientôt merci beaucoup thank you so much mitch cheers now talk to you soon yep bye-bye this is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFond. Mitch LaFond. Very big thank you to Damon Johnson. Always, always love chatting with Damon. And of course, somebody else I love chatting with is Josh Todd of Buck Cherry. I love that band. I love everything they've ever done. And War Paint is equally uh, intriguing and entertaining. So, um, Mr. Niven, were you. A fan of of war of war paint of Buck Cherry Do, is that is that a band that that tickles your fancy to to use a uh, I guess a more British term? Well, I'd have to say that when uh, Jimmy Ashurst told me bluntly and with direct honesty what he thought about his time with Buck Cherry, I had to smile and chuckle and agree with him. Um, so, find a Jimmy Ashurst interview and do yourself a favor and listen to what jimmy says um because i agree okay well i'll go i'll go see well i did my own with him so i'll, I'll go back and listen to that but uh, i will say one thing um about josh and uh, their old guitarist their former guitarist uh, keith nelton i think had they been able to continue the project with duff and slash it would have been a lot more uh, rock and roll and a lot more entertaining than uh, Velvet Revolver. I, I, and I, I do not mean to speak badly of somebody who's passed away, but I just did not enjoy Scott Weiland or Whelan as a front man and as a singer. Uh, I met him; he was perfectly nice, but, but, man, I think I think Josh's voice would have been so much more. And I'm going to sound cliche, but dangerous, and it would have been just a better fit. But whatever. We're, well, you know. Again, in the interests of transparency and honesty, um, my partner and I went to see um, Velvet with Scott uh, when they came to Arizona the first time. And then Curly, myself, and Heather went back to the hotel and to the hotel bar. 
And this is the first time that Heather had actually met Slash, and she was horrified because we sat down at the table, and I leant across the table, and the first thing out of my mouth was, What are you thinking? And Curly goes, I know, I know. You know, I just, I just didn't get it at all. I, I did not see where Scott worked. Yeah, I didn't. And by the way, you, you seem to have a reputation for that. There was... Um... <laughs> I'm trying to think, but literally this week, somebody was telling me, isn't Alan the guy, who was that? He said that they went to a Jack Russell, Jack Russell show in Arizona this year or last year, and afterwards, a guy in a cowboy hat walked in and said, all right, folks, you're a guitarist. What are you doing? <laughs> and the guitarist got up and walked out of the room and said, well, I'm not going to listen to this crap. Um, well, let's get that straight. Who, who the so, hell? Who was? I gotta remember who was telling me this. Uh, I, I think it was one of the guys in Chips Enough, because I remember him coming into the room and standing by the door and watching while I was talking to to the band. Um, yeah, but I didn't talk to anybody in Enough's Enough this week. Who the? F- uh, you know, I will remember and we will reveal it at another episode. But I am completely drawing a blank as to who I spoke to. But yeah, well, they were telling me this story because they witnessed it, and they were like, "I couldn't believe Alan did that." Well. <laughs> First of all, his belief might have been a little more solid if he understood that Jack asked me to. Secondly, the guitarist ran away and did not stay for the meeting and hid for the rest of the night. Yes. Thirdly, the rest of the band were delighted that I pointed some things out, and they've been trying to deal with them and raise their game since. Um, You know, so... Well, this is what they what they took away from it. They they said that you went in and said, Jack, this is the Jack Russell show. It's not the guitarist solo guy show. So it's your name on the marquee, and that's what people are showing up for. So give them a Jack Russell show. That, and, and I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what, right? Was that was that the message? Well, it was thereabouts because this guy was swanning around the stage. First of all, everything he was playing was just wrong for the vibe of the material that Jack was playing. Um, and Tony Montana actually recorded some shows and made Jack sit down and watch and listen. And Jack says, yeah, I know. I really get it. We have to work on this. But he was upstaging Jack all the time. He was playing completely nonsensical drivel. And when Tony went to the microphone to sing, uh, I think it was House of Broken Love, he completely, and in my estimation, deliberately plowed the rhythm part and totally misplayed it and you know just for me to walk into um, the dressing room and see him sitting central in a table like the king of Zorro signing all kinds of records that he had absolutely nothing to do with you know I was kind of looking at this guy and going it's the Jack Russell show motherfucker get a clue. It's not about you. You're supposed to be supporting Jack and you're not. And believe you me, Jack and the rest of the band were not looking at me and going, Niv, we don't know what the fuck you're talking about. They were looking at me and going, thank God somebody's coming in here and calling him out. That's great. Now, and and I'm being completely honest, I'm not protecting the innocent. I can't remember who told me that this week. It'll come to you. 
Yeah, it'll come to me. I'm going to have to go uh, and take him. In. Well, in, in fact, here, let us go listen to uh, Josh Todd talk about Buck Cherry, the new Buck Cherry, because there's some new band members. And of course, the new album is War Paint. And uh, I will take a moment to try to figure out who the heck told me this. So uh, anyway, without further ado, here is the one, the only Josh Todd. We are uh, speaking with a singer, Josh Todd of the band Buck Cherry. Of course, the new album is War Paint. And uh, Josh, absolutely a pleasure to talk to you uh, once again. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, it's great. Uh, we're having such a great time rolling this thing out. And it's, it's an amazing record. I appreciate it. You know, uh, by the time this comes out, folks haven't had a chance to hear the record yet. But I, I have to say, it it really is sort of a classic-sounding Buck Cherry album. Uh, songs like "No Regrets," uh, "The Alarm," uh, even "Radio Song," which is a, which is a bit on the slower side, just really is. So let's start there, uh, and then we'll we'll work over to to the producer and stuff. But you know, you have sort of a, a new cast of characters in the band, if if I'm allowed to characterize it that way. Uh, talk to me about the writing process and bringing it together and still having the ability to make it be Buck Cherry, because sometimes when you change the parts, it changes the whole stew, if you want. But we still have a Buck Cherry record. Uh, just talk to me about getting it together with these guys. Um, well, first of all, you know, the history of Buck Cherry, uh, we're accustomed to change. We've had changes in the lineup all the way back to, uh, you know, Time Bomb. So, um, you know, it's 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 happened over time. I mean, you know, man, we wear people out. And I got to tell you, you know, throughout the history of Buck Cherry, it's only there's only two guys that we have fired. Everybody else quit on their own. So um, there's nothing you can really do about that, you know, and and change is really good. And um, especially for Buck Cherry, we've we've made really great records after change. Fifteen was one of the best ones. And that was uh a completely different lineup than the one than the band that did uh you know the first record self-titled and time bomb so that being said um it hasn't really been a lot of change because stevie's been in the band now since 2005 so that's what 14 years and kelly's been in the band for like seven years over seven years it was just we uh we changed guitar players uh kevin rankin and he's amazing he's been in the band two years now and and our recent addition, Francis Ruiz, on the drums, and he's just a banger. He's so good. Yeah, talk to me real quick about getting uh, Francis in the band, because he, of course, I first knew of him when he started off with uh, C.C. DeVille and Samantha Seven. Uh, how did that collaboration come together? How did you find him? Was it just sort of one of these guys that's been around the L.A. scene for years and like, all right, come on, it's your turn? Or was there an audition process? Uh, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, there was, um, we, we started looking for a guy and we wanted a guy that was from our generation. We had, we had, you know, we had dealt with a younger person and just, just came up with a lot of, uh, situations where it wasn't jiving, you know? And so, um, yeah, we wanted a guy from our generation and, and somebody who was really great. And, and so Francis has a long history of being in bands and he was, he's also, been a technician for a lot of giant bands as well and he came highly recommended but i wanted to know he could play really well so he's from texas and we, we live over here in california and i and i said that stevie stevie was in contact with him uh, at the beginning and i said have him video himself playing gluttony i want to see how he plays 
and and so he did it and he would just rip that song apart and he you know and he did everything i asked of him as far as he i wanted to see how he played the click because um there's a lot of drummers that can't play that click you know that they have skills but they can't really play that click and and he's really great at playing the click and so um I really liked that and he just murdered the song and then I had him do a couple more and, and then that was it. It was pretty pretty easy. And then he came highly recommended from some pretty big names in the business of musicians that we've known throughout the years and and the rest is history. It really is. Uh Mike and and his name Plotnikov. The uh, the I hope I yeah. said that correctly. The the producer he of course was there for you on 15, which really was sort of a rebirth yeah. of the band. He's also done Three Days Grace, All That Remains, uh, Nita Strauss, yeah. a whole bunch of other stuff. Talk to me about what yeah. he brings to the band, because you had this success with 15, and then you moved away from him, and now you're coming back to him. So what is it about Mike where he just sort of understands the band and what the band's sound is? Well, you know, we 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 love that the records he's done. He's had a lot of success at Active Rock Radio, and we haven't gotten a whole lot of love from Active Rock Radio in in a few records now. And um, so, uh, all that being said, he's a lovely person, really great human being. He's Canadian, and and we get along with him really well. And he's super talented. And it was time, you know. And we played him we played him the demos, and he was really into it. And uh, it's just been fun making a Buck Cherry record again. And, and you know, uh, we just had a great experience. We wrote a lot of songs. We wrote 30 songs for an 11-song record. You know, we were very thorough. We knew what we had to overcome with all the things out there, you know, from our last record sales and the lineup change and everything. We knew we had to come with something that was one of our best, and I truly believe that War Paint, Pound for Pound, is one of the best Buck Cherry records written. Yeah, and I've had a chance to hear it, and I, I wouldn't disagree. Um, talk to me about your songwriting process in the sense uh, the other day I was I was having a, a, a nice, polite conversation with Jim Valance, who of course has written with Aerosmith and, and Brian Adams and all these, these great stars, and he said that the first thing that you have to have is a title that is uh, easily recognizable. So he gave the example of, you know, when you listen to ACDC and you hear Highway to Hell and you're halfway through the song, you know right away that Highway to Hell is the title and that's what you're going to remember. Um, how do you approach songwriting? Is it, it, you know, just what's the approach for you? Oh, man, it's, um, you know, I've written all the lyrics and melodies for all the records I've ever made, you know, so, um, I'm, you know, First of all, you got to write a lot of songs. You got to write a lot of songs to get good at writing songs, you know, and I did that. I've done that since I was 16. I've been writing a lot of songs, you know, and I've written a lot of turds too, you know, but um, it, what I've learned over time with songwriting is they're basically uh, expressions, you know, you're, you're trying to capture a feeling and you're storytelling and they're short stories, but you're storytelling. And so how do you get good at storytelling well you got to read a lot of stories and so I, I read a lot I'm always exercising that muscle I'm reading stories I'm compiling titles uh, if I come across words and titles that I like I jot them down I have a whole list and uh, so I compile titles and I read a lot of books and then I write a lot so by the time I get to the songwriting process for a record you know um, I've got all kinds of stuff and so what I'll do is 
it happens all different kinds of ways. You know, sometimes I'll just get a composition like Stevie will send me some music and I'll go, I'll sit back and listen to it and I'll go, where is this taking me? How am I feeling when I hear this song? You know, and what am I going through right now? And I'll ask myself all these questions and then I just start writing, you know, and, and then something will come up, something will pop out, a word, a phrase, an expression, and then I'll take that and I'll be like, that's the song. And, and then I got to create the subject matter around that. Or sometimes I'll just, like, for instance, you like radio song. Radio song, um, for some reason, when I'm in the shower, uh, really great melodies come to me, and I don't know what it is. And I've, I've read that about several artists, that they get a lot of ideas in the shower. So I always put my iPhone on the counter outside the shower in case I do come up with anything. And and uh, radio song, I wrote literally verse-chorus in the shower. Um, I got out, I recorded the melody real quick. I ran downstairs. I wanted, you know, I really wanted to write our purple rain. That was like my whole, uh, motivation behind that song. I wanted Bob Cherry's purple rain. You know, I love Prince and that's what it needed to be. And, you know, Stevie loves Prince and Stevie and I wrote this whole record. And, and, uh, so I wrote all the words. I came in the next day to Stevie I just got on the microphone and I sang it. I sang it down with no music. And I said, okay, Stevie, I want it to be our Purple Rain. So come up with some music that's that's that moving, that, you know, that emotional. And, and he was like, great. And so I gave him, you know, some guidelines and I took off and he finished the song, put a bridge to it. And I came back in, rewrote, you know, wrote a nice melody over the bridge and the song just popped, you know, it was just amazing. It really wrote itself quickly. So sometimes songs like that happen and and uh, so all different kinds of ways yeah it really does um i i do want to take you more up on songwriting in a second but uh, you know over the band's career you, you've had these great ups with 15 and, and a song like crazy bitch and all this stuff and then you've had some some you know lower uh, moments what has sort of kept the band going and you going why have you not sort of looked at it at some point uh and just say you know what i'm just going to throw in the towel i'm going to go do the josh todd <laughs> band or i'm going to go do uh you know um not year of the tiger what was that band called um uh, uh, uh josh todd and conflict right that's it that year which by the yeah, way yeah. that that's a, that, that the song rain on that album bloody beautiful anyway uh, well, yeah the, the, the song that that whole record is great i'm so proud of that record it's great yeah you know what um, well, well, we'll we'll talk about that record I'll you, too i'll tell you what yeah. it is it, it's passion it's it's passion you know i mean i love what i do you know i started buck cherry at the edge of my bed in my my apartment i had a little four track and i was just recording demos on my own i had a drum machine and i was recording really uh, crappy guitars and bass and I was singing and, and then I I'm shortly after that I met Keith and we started writing demos and we didn't even have the band and then we started the band you know so I've been I know everything there is to know about BC I started it from nothing so very passionate about Buck Cherry when you've been in the game 20 years this is 20 years our first record was in 1999 it's nine, you know it's 2019 this is our eighth record I mean Every band that I know that has put out this many records and has really in, endured the test of time has had a lot of peaks and valleys, and and uh, and that's what Bo Cherry's been about, you know, better or for worse. That's just that's just been our path, and 
And you know what? It was those valleys where I really uh, grew the most, where I really found out about a lot of things that I needed to find out about. So it's all really a learning experience. And uh, we always take those valleys and, and we work for those peaks again because we want, you know, we know what it's like to uh, have a song popping on radio and to be in front of really big crowds. And so, you know what I mean? And we're also patient and we know that Buck Sherry is a very unique sounding band. It's never been mainstream even when we started. Um, so... Sometimes it works and sometimes sometimes people love it and sometimes people hate it. And that's that's like I'd rather be loved or hated than just be like, uh, oh, I don't know, it doesn't do anything for me, you know what I mean? Yeah. So. In, indifference is, is is actually the opposite of love, I guess. Uh and and for me, by yeah. the way, just, you know, what makes the sound of Buck Cherry is your voice. I, I think you can change everybody in the band a hundred times over. As long as the voice is there, it's Buck Cherry. I mean that's to me. Yeah, it's not only it's not only my voice, it's literally my life. It's my words. It all it's all the words have come from my head, you know. So, yeah, I agree, you know, and I I'm not saying that uh oh, selfishly. I'm just saying, you know, I agree with you. Yeah, girl, you can say it selfishly or whatever, you know, pump your chest because <laughs> it's fair. Um let me ask you if I can a, a personal question. Over the years, you have spoken publicly that 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 you know, growing up was a bit difficult and things had been you know, it wasn't necessarily that one of the happiest childhoods in your in the history of mankind, and I don't mean to be belitt- right. to be, be belittling. That's that's not what I'm trying to do. But are you in a happy place now? I mean, now that that you know the band is yours, and and you know you've got War Paint out, and you're you're touring successfully, and you're able. I mean, ha- have you finally achieved that happy place in life? Uh, I've all you know. I'm having first of all. Everything I do in my life, I compartmentalize, you know, so I don't get overwhelmed. And, you know, Buck Cherry is over here in one plate and it's, it's great. It's amazing. It's, it's a lot of fun again. And we got a, we got a great group of guys and everybody's in it for the right reasons. And, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, I've just seen so much with this band that I just take it one day at a time. And so that being said, that's over there. And then you got to look at my personal life is on another plate and everything has been you know, there's just been a lot of stuff that I've had to work on personally because, you know, like you said, uh, I have a lot of stuff, you know, from my foundation was really uh, plagued with a lot of uh, dysfunction and stuff that I've really worked hard on trying to reprogram as far as my mind and the way I think, you know, and and it's tough, you know, and so I've done a lot of personal work on myself this uh Last year, uh, 2018, and it's just now starting to really pay off, and I'm starting to really feel uh, comfortable in my own skin again, you know, because I, I kind of, I, I got away from that a little bit, and um, it, it's constant maintenance, and, you know, um, I, I have to go back to that all the time, you know, it's a lot of work. Yeah, it is a lot of work, and and and. Do you look back at at the body of work you you've put out, you know, and I keep I'll just keep saying fifteen because that that is one of the best albums ever made. Um, do you look back at your work with pride? Like, are, are you do you have that ability to to look back and say, "Hey, man, I, I have done some really cool shit over the years," and, <laughs> and, and I have a sense of pride, or does that escape you? No, I, I really I love that, and sometimes I get bummed that it's not out of real bigger scale because in my head I feel like 
you know, Buck Cherry is so, um, it's such an, an, an extraordinary band, you know what I mean? So, um, when I, when I look at it, you know, from that standpoint, it's hard for me to just, um, go, okay, it is what it is. It's, you've had a long career and you have a, you still have a great audience and, and that's all great. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a fierce competitor. I want to, I want it to be as big as it can be. And I want to, I want to be competing at the highest level. And sometimes I feel like that's, you know, it, it's not going on and, and whatever, I have to be patient and, and keep working and, and, you know, more will be revealed, you know? So, um, I'm definitely proud of everything that I've done for sure. You know, I, I look like some songs I listen to, like they're off the beaten path of what you would think I would like, but like, you know, I'm really proud of the FEP. I really think it was like a really clever um, piece of art. It was, it's such a great uh, part of the Buckcherry catalog. And I know that it has a lot of profanity, but it's like the way that it was done, I thought was like really cool. And um, so that's one of my favorite pieces of the puzzle, actually. And one of my favorite songs is Somebody Else With Me. Well, you know what? I got to say, uh, the the uh, the Icono pop cover, Say Fuck It, is brilliant. And and I'll admit this, that my kids who are 12 and 15 listen to that daily almost <laughs> and get a huge kick out yeah, of it. Yeah, that was, that was... It was brilliant. That was fun to do. That was my that was my idea. I heard that on the radio. I didn't know we could cuss, so I'll I'll definitely use profanity now. But uh, yeah, I heard that on the radio, and um, it sounded like when I heard it, I'm like, this sounds like a punk rock song to me. That's that that was my first reaction when I heard the song, even though it was a pop song. It sounded like a like a a couple of punk rock chicks like singing a song. You know, I thought that was cool, and because of the lyrics, you know, and and um, and it was a very simple song, you know, and so uh, that's how I presented it to Keith at the time. I was like, we got to make this like a punk rock tune. It's got to be, we can make this our own. It's, you know, I really think this could be cool. And and I, he wasn't really feeling it at the time. And then he just went through with the idea. And then after we had it done, he was into it. Yeah, well, it turned out great. Um, I do want to ask you about the, the choice of cover song, but you, you have mentioned Keith a couple of times. So I'll ask you. Uh, is there yeah. a chance of a reconciliation? I'm not talking about a reunion with the band or coming back, but on a personal level, here's a guy who was in the trenches with you for many years. Uh, are you friends again? Can you be friends again? Is there is, is there somebody that is there forgiveness that needs to be sought? Is you know or I mean I, I can tell I can tell you this I really gave him an opportunity to set himself up for that. And he didn't take that opportunity. So I can't tell you, uh, that there is, I, I can only personally tell you that I've done a lot of work on the subject and I can say this, that I hope he's happy and, and that's it. And I hope uh, everybody who's had a, had any kind of issue with BC and had to leave is happy because that's all that matters at the end of the day. Yeah. And, and I don't hate, I don't, I don't, I don't hate him and I don't hate anybody, you know? Yeah. And anyway, I, I would hope that uh, outside of the band that, that there could be a reconciliation just because, you know, brothers in arms that, that create something hopefully can at some point look at, look at each other and say, Hey man, come on. But uh, let's get back to it. <laughs> I'm hoping for you. Um, you of course are uh, in, uh, you're doing the European tour through February and then of course, Canada and the States in March. 
Um, what are the plans for the band in terms of the rest of the year? Is this the year where you really just go out and do headline shows and you focus on we are Buck Cherry, we are the headline act, or at some point in the summer or in the fall you say, okay, we're going to go open for. Um, what's sort of the, the, the plan in terms of positioning the band for the, re- for the year? I mean, we've done everything under the sun to position ourselves so that, you know, the record and the songs – whatever they may be as far as when we're going to the radio with what kind of single uh, makes sense. So, you know, I leave that up to my great manager, Larry Mazur and our, our record label, having everybody kind of get together and talk, talk it up, present me and the band with, you know, how they feel the next step needs, you know, what they feel the next step needs to be. And then we just talk about it and we figure it out. Yeah, and, and you go from there. And of course, Larry have, has uh, famously managed Kiss during the Revenge era in Cinderella. Uh, I imagine that yeah. you two uh, sit around drinking uh, coffee at Starbucks talking about great Cinderella stories. But uh, let, me, let me ask you quickly. I mean, we, we, don't, we don't do that. We don't do that. But he's got a long history way, way before that. And like, he's a, he's a real interest, interesting guy. Very hardworking. He's, he's so... Uh, you know, I got to tell you, I was, you know, I meditate and I make incantations, I do incantations and I, I really uh, visualize on a daily basis. And um, throughout my career, I didn't really feel like I had a manager that was my Peter Grant. And I always wanted that, you know, and, and so I started really meditating on it and um, thinking of a person that would really embrace this situation and me in particular and get to know me and really, you know, uh, was always there for me anytime I needed to pick up the phone and, and Larry has been that guy, you know, and, uh, it's amazing. He's, he's like the guy, he's the perfect fit for me. And, um, I really, I really enjoy working with him. Yeah, Larry, Larry is absolutely fantastic. So right, let me let me ask you about uh, cover songs. We, of course, talked about the Icono Pop song. You have covered Erotic City by Prince. We've done Mama Kin, uh, uh, On the Road Again, I've Done Everything for You, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And now we've got the Nine Inch Nails cover, uh, Head <laughs> Like a Hole. Talk to me about how you decide which, because I mean, if you look, for, I mean, from from Nine Inch Nails to uh, Sammy Hagar to Icona Pop to Mama Kitten, you know, Aerosmith, you, you know, very diverse. So, how do you sort of decide which song you want to buck terrify, for the lack of a better word? Well, it's just got to be something that kind of fits in my wheelhouse vocally. Um, it's got to be a song that's, you know, I feel like I can jive to, you know. And, you know, head like a hole is, and and I don't like to just take a rock song and do a rock cover. You know, I mean, I, that's not interesting to me. Um, I'd rather take a song that's kind of in a different, uh, in a different format. You know, and and make it our own, so that when you hear it, you're like, oh, this sounds like a Buck Cherry song. You know, and so I feel like we did a great job with, uh, say, uh, fuck it and and head like a hole. You know, the only two songs that were actually on records. You know, the single thing was that was a thing for our fans, you know, and that was, that's a whole different thing. We kind of just covered those the way they were done. Um, but, uh, you know, as far as head, like a whole, I, I, I really identified with the lyrics. I thought they were great lyrics. Um, as far as Trent Reznor is concerned, I love what he's done with his career. I feel like he's done something that's special and one of a kind. And he's, 
and he's always kind of stuck to his own plan and, and, you know, really created something special over time, you know? And so I respect that. And I really liked pretty hate machine. Um, I thought it was a record that, you know, reminded me of all the punk rock records I listened to when I was a kid. I felt like it was a guy making his own art, no rules. And it was unique, you know, and it was raw. And so when I heard Headlock like a hole, I'm like, we should, we should try this. Cause it's really in my wheelhouse vocally and I really love the words and that, that has to happen for me because I got to sing this over and over and over again. So I want to make sure I'm, I'm owning it and I'm passionate and I can feel emotional about what's being said. You know, that's why I write my own words because I, I got to go out there and represent it. I can't be, I don't want it to be phony, you know? So, um, that being said, you know, it was just a perfect fit and we jammed it out and we didn't know Mike Plotnikoff was recording us at the time. And, and he said, come in here. I want you guys to hear something. And he, he did a rough mix of it and put it up. And we're like, this is it. This is the song. It's got to be on the record. You know, it was pretty, it was a no brainer. Yeah, it, it turned out great. And uh, anyway, um, let me, let me, I'll, I'll finish with this. Cause I have told you this, I think 87 times. And I think you even know what's coming. Uh, the song circles from your Joss Todd. You made me one of the best songs you've ever written. And, please at some point consider playing it live and i'm going to keep telling you this until until i can no longer do interviews so maybe i'll just start with it next time (laughs) but no a great album but no uh, jokes aside uh, do you see yourself at some point doing another solo album and stepping outside of the buck cherry skin and saying this is me not being buck cherry i have something else to say i mean i've done i've done that and i don't know what's going to happen you know in the future, you know, because right, I'm just sticking with it day by day, you know, right now my focus is war paint and, um, you know, I just did Josh on the conflict in 2017 and that was amazing. And so I'm just taking it one record at a time and we'll see, we'll see where I'm at. Yeah. Great. And of course, uh, folks, war paint, uh, coming out uh, shortly, absolutely phenomenal album. Just if you love Buck Cherry, you're going to love this. And uh, Josh, always, always a pleasure. And hopefully you will get to the East Coast towards Montreal, where I am, uh, sooner rather than later, because it is always a great show. And as we say here, merci beaucoup. Thank you so, so much. <laughs> Thank you, man. We, you know, we love Canada and, and, and um, you know, the feeling's mutual, by the way. You know, we've done a lot of stuff. And so uh, yep. I appreciate it. And we'll see you at the Rock Show. Yes, have a good one, sir. Thank you. Bye, 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 buddy. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.